Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Sooners Extra, powered by the Oklahoman. I'm Ryan Aber from Oklahoma.com. Uh, here with uh, Jenny Carlson, the columnist today. Jenny, how you doing? I'm well. How are you? Doing great. Just getting ready to podcast in a great way. We've got to keep <laughs> the heritage of this podcast alive, even though we've changed the name uh, up a little bit. We are still the nonfiction writers. Uh, but, uh, Jenny, we're here. We're going to start with expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of expectations on this Oklahoma team this year. We're getting closer and closer to the start of practice that'll happen uh saturday um after the, the the players report on friday so first of all the expectations of this team i think they're projected by pretty much everybody to win the big 12 again mm-hmm. uh even with the questions on the defense even with the questions on the offensive line uh even with the changeover at quarterback uh are you at all surprised by the level of expectations that have been put on the the backs of this team? Maybe a little bit, uh, you know, from the standpoint of what you brought up, you know, the fact that there there is change, Um, you know, and it's obviously um, it's somewhat eased by the fact that so many of the playmakers around you expect to be Jalen Hurts at quarterback, but I, I guess we could all be surprised if it's somebody else, but the playmakers around are still there. But at the same time, this is a defense in transition. This is an offense a little in transition. And you pair that with a strong season a year ago by Texas, returning their quarterback so much back. Uh, Did I say back enough with Texas? (laughs) I didn't do that intentionally. Is Texas back, Jenny? (laughs) That's a whole other podcast, right? (laughs) But they do have the return of a lot of key pieces in that offense. And I think, and the defense too. So both sides of the ball, uh, seemingly more continuity there. You know, you would think maybe this would be uh, a year when people might go ahead and put the Longhorns ahead of the Sooners. But I think, I think the, uh, the track record of what Oklahoma's done, even as they've changed head coaches, even as they've changed quarterbacks, even as they've gone from Heisman Trophy number one overall draft pick to another and done it again. I, I think that the the safe bet is to say it's Oklahoma versus the field at this point. So, yeah, there's a lot more uh, turnover, a lot more unknown, I think, in Norman than maybe there there is in Austin. But um, I still think it's hard to, to go against the Sooners considering the track record of, of what they've done even as they've had turnover in the past. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that, that Lincoln Riley's track record, especially as, as it relates to the quarterbacks that he's had, uh, and, and Jalen Hurts' track record, and we'll get into Jalen Hurts here in a little bit, but his track record in just winning games at Alabama with that 26-2 uh, and record, I think makes people feel a whole lot better about things, even with some of the uncertainty there. And I think there's a thought also they were great uh, on offense last year, and just 
horrendously awful on defense, and they can't be horrendously awful on defense again. You know, now you would think not, right? You would think not. <laughs> and I go back to the turnover question. They just by sheer force of luck, right. they're going to find a little, a few more turnovers. Right. You now, would think, yeah. Does that number, you know, dramatically increase, or is it just a small bump? Uh, we'll see. But you know, given the just, I say this every podcast. It seems like the historically low nature of turnovers last season for this team, this defense. They've got to be able to force some more, and just by that, you get some defensive improvement. Yeah, and I agree. I, th- I think they will. Uh, you know, that's that's such a uh, such a focus of Alex Grinch and his defense, and it was before he arrived at Oklahoma. It's not like he stepped into the fray and Norman in the spring, or talking to guys over the summer, or once they get out on the field this week for uh, for camp. It's not like he's changing things to to adapt to try to have a more turnover-minded defense. That's what he's always done. That was what he that's how he transformed that defense at Washington State, which is really the mark by which you've got to you've got to look at what Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley hope to have out of Alex Grinch is to take uh, a defense and, you know, move it forward and maybe he maybe he doesn't have the type of players he ultimately wants. Maybe you know in a couple of years we'll look at the recruits that they've got in and we'll say, "Oh, that's the type of guy that he wanted to have from the get-go." But he didn't have his type of guys at first at Washington State either. And they saw a huge increase in turnovers and then continued to during his time uh, in Pullman. So, I think that's where he that's just part of what he preached from day one how they talk about turnovers how they talk about possessions um, how they talk uh, on the practice field in the film room all of that is what he's done for a long time so that didn't have to change didn't have to think about it that's who he is a defensive coordinator so you've got to think that that's already that mindset has already started to turn what the result will be how many more uh, how much improvement, all that sort of stuff, yet to be seen. But I do think that that you're right. It it surely can't be can't be as low as it was last season. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Let's uh, pivot a little bit, staying on the topic of expectations to Jalen Hurts. I brought him up just a second ago. Um, he's a guy who's highly thought of in the Heisman Trophy race. Yeah. Uh, which is a little bit surprising given the fact that he hardly played last year, but that performance in the SEC title game, I think coupled by just the sort of mystique around Lincoln Riley and quarterbacks, uh, lifts him up. It seems like he's pretty well suited to handle the weight of those expectations, both as a team and and individually. But, uh, you know, is there any danger there in how highly he is thought of uh, entering this season? Yeah. Maybe a little bit, but, you know, he, by all accounts, whether at Alabama or in, you know, his short time in Norman, he has sort of that old soul mentality. Uh, I mean, that just personality, not even mentality. That's a personality. And I think if he was a little more, um, you know, sort of prone to, to, to some of the outside talk and the noise, you might think, well... You know, this guy hasn't even officially been named the starter and all these expectations. And, uh, you know, you could maybe see that being a little problematic and worrisome. But, you know, I just think he's I I just think he's the type of guy that 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 doesn't really 
um, concern me as much. And um, maybe I'll be proven wrong on that. Maybe it will be different. But this is a guy that that started as a freshman at Alabama. <laughs> you know, I mean, like he he has done and been in high pressure, uh, high expectation situations before. So, yeah, this is a different time in his life. Um, you know, this is this is the last year before the next phase of his football. Does he make an NFL roster? Does he improve his draft stock? You know, what what's next? So I think you're sort of – it's the difference between, you know, a, a pro player on their rookie contract versus being in a contract year. How, how does that impact him? This is the first time he's sort of had that um, hanging over his head to a degree. But by all accounts, to be able to play as a freshman – at Alabama for Nick Saban in the SEC and have the success that he had. Um, and then we've seen him along the way continue to handle uh, different difficult situations, whether that's coming in midstream in that SEC title game a year ago or, um, you know, how he how he managed uh, Tua coming in. All of those sorts of things. He's managed difficult situations before. So my guess is he handles those expectations well. Um but it is a slight variation on a theme and in, in, in this year and sort of that one and done at OU and the chance to really take that and, and use it to, to wherever he wants to go next with football. Yeah, I, I think he seems to be uniquely su- suited for, for this position and to be successful in this position. And I think you look at what he did last year in the limited time that he was able to be on the field. I thought there were some good signs with you know throwing the deep deeper balls, uh, things like that. That maybe you see where he can make that transition from the quarterback he was two years ago, w- before he lost the job to to Atunga Vailoa. I just got to say that name because because you can great to say it exactly. <laughs> um, but through through last year into the situation he's in now, so I think he's going to be a, a much better quarterback than we saw the last time he was a starter at Alabama and I think because of the receivers he's got around him you know you talk about CeeDee Lamb and I think Lee Morris has been maybe the most overlooked sooner uh, coming back Grant Calcaterra and then that massive group of five-star freshmen coming in and then you add in uh, Charleston Rambo showed some really big-time flashes last year especially in that uh, Orange Bowl loss to Alabama so you've got uh, a lot of indications that he's going to be able to be successful in that spot. Um, we're going to take a break real quick and uh, come right back to talk about uh, uh, recruiting, how that's uh, stacking up for the Sooners right now, and also a little bit more Lincoln Riley. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back with Sooners Extra. Ryan Aber joined by Jenny Carlson. And, and Jenny, uh, the the focus is going to be on the season soon enough. And mm-hmm. 
obviously we're talking a lot about the season and, and what to expect, but uh, this last weekend before uh, practice kicks up, before players report back, was about the future and recruiting. And we saw the uh, OU had its uh, Champion Barbecue, I believe it was the fourth annual mm-hmm. uh, event that started, uh, what, in 2016 under Bob Stoops. And it's just more of a relaxed atmosphere around a recruiting weekend. A lot of uh, a lot of commits come in for it. A lot of guys from really the next three classes uh, come in to sort of get a sense of what the Oklahoma football program is all about. And uh, didn't get the uh, immediate gratification that we've gotten the last few years with the commitments rolling in on the Sunday after the barbecue, or or even that that Saturday after people start uh, filtering out. But this can still be a, an important event down the road for, for recruiting for Oklahoma. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's sort of like, um, you know, it's sort of like the spring game has become in a lot of ways. That's that's one of those things that, you know, Lincoln Riley has most transformed during his uh, time as head coach uh, of the Sooners is to take the spring game from merely, uh, you know, the 15th practice essentially to a recruiting bonanza, uh, bringing in guys uh, having it be an event that uh, you know is is a is a draw uh, is a time that recruits want to be there and yeah and you may not get a guy right away who says yes or you may not get any guys I mean as you mentioned with this barbecue but these are the type of events that I think um, you know programs are looking to try to separate themselves um, you know guys are going to have different reasons that they get interested in a program. Um, you know, whether it's the style on the field or the coaches that they might get to work with, um, location. I mean, it's everything. We know that. But this is just one more thing that, you know, allows a recruit to interact with a lot of different people for their family to see, you know, coaches, coaches' families, um, staffers that their their kids might be uh, eventually playing for, you know, just to have a different type of look that might resonate differently because it, it is a different sort of situation that they're in. So, yeah, I mean, and I I think it, uh, I think it was the spring game that, uh, you know, Lincoln mentioned that um, I think it was maybe not this past spring, but the spring before they didn't necessarily get any commitments at that time. But after the fact, when some guys committed, there was a reference back to, that spring event so yeah i mean i think it's one of those deals that you know you might not have a you know certain number of guys that in mass say all right i'm in right away but in the after effect you may again have guys that come back and say yeah i was there for for champ U and it was different and it was fun and i had a great time and that was part of the reason why i felt comfortable there so don't be surprised if that's the case down the road yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And and to me, this is one of the big differences between the in the transition between Bob Stoops and, and Lincoln Riley has been recruiting. And obviously this event started during the Bob Stoops era, but it's so, sort of evolved into uh, what it's become because of Lincoln Riley. And he was a big part of uh, sort of getting it kicked off. And, and then also the emphasis more on uh, building a class early. Bob Stoops was so good about uh, getting those late commits right before signing day, which is there's something to be said for that because you are pretty comfortable that those guys are going to sign. You don't have to babysit them for a long time. But at the same time, that dynamic has clearly shifted 
over the last few years. And I think that sort of leads to this year's barbecue where you don't need as many commits for the uh, 2020 class immediately. Mm -hmm. So it can be about much more the 2021, 2022 class. They obviously want to add some more pieces in in this current class, especially on defense. But uh, it's not as much of a pressing issue now as maybe it has been the last few seasons. And I think that's been interesting to watch how that – uh, has evolved and I can't remember who said it I think it was maybe Tom Herman uh, at Big 12 Media Days a couple weeks ago said that you know let's not kid ourselves it's not the early signing day anymore it's signing day yeah. and and what used to be signing day the traditional February signing day is now the late signing day so the way that uh, programs have had to adapt what they've done and how they've uh, how they've approached the, the recruiting calendar um, you know I I'm not. I'm not going to say that. You know, it's good that Bob Stoops retired and Lincoln Riley took over. But that, I think, sort of opened the door to maybe be a little more nimble and sort of think about some things differently with fresh eyes. That, you know, would they have gotten to this point if Bob was still a head coach? Entirely possible. I mean, Lincoln Riley was on staff. Uh, you know, obviously Bob Stoops has been was and and up until the end continued to be a really good recruiter so you would think that they would figure out ways to adjust to that but that did allow them a little bit of a um, ability to to see with fresh eyes and say all right what what do we need to do how do we need to approach this differently because I think that first year uh, I think everybody got maybe not caught flat-footed but I don't know if everybody fully everywhere appreciated how many guys were going to go with that early signing period and, you know, did that leave everybody uh, feeling great about where they were heading into what's now the late signing period? You know, I, I think that the, the Blue Bloods of college football, they did okay because they're the Blue Bloods of college football. They're going to get, uh, you know, the, the best guys or, a, you know, a chunk of the best guys regardless. But that had to be sort of an uneasy feeling <laughs> for, some, for some programs to see, you know, competitors who were basically done before Christmas and – suddenly who's left who's out there what if this guy ends up what if this guy that we really like but Alabama really likes what if he chooses Alabama what's the fallback those fallback positions in some cases got taken away so it required um, some nimbleness and I think some willingness to change and adjust as that stuff uh, as that stuff presented itself and, and and Oklahoma and a lot of other programs but they've obviously been at the front to sort of revisit and recreate um, opportunities that have allowed them to recruit in different ways. Yeah, and you would imagine that would they would keep trying to be innovative in that format. I mean, you mentioned the spring game, what they've done for that, the Champion Barbecue, things like that. They're always trying to figure out ways with not only Lincoln Riley, but Annie Hansen and, and Kale Gundy and yeah. the rest of that recruiting staff to sort of stay on the, the forefront of these things because they are evolving. And you don't want to get left behind. And if you're doing the same thing you did last year, then usually you are getting left behind. Uh, Jenny, let's uh, keep on the recruiting uh, Mm -hmm. topic. Oklahoma recently got a a big-time offensive line commit, uh, which isn't anything surprising given who their offensive line coach is, Bill Biedenboe. But this one was a little bit different with uh, Andrew Rame from uh, Broken Arrow, a a four-star kid, you know, highly, highly recruited, picked OU over Georgia and uh, was also considering Michigan there until the very end. But uh, more than that, he 
gave the Sooners a big-time commitment from a Tulsa area school. And that's something that they've they've gone into Tulsa and been pretty successful. But the last couple years, they missed out on the big guy from Tulsa. With Dax Hill a year ago, obviously there's some uh, reasons there Mm -hmm. especially. But uh, I think the one that really pained them was Josh Proctor a couple years ago, both from a where he wound up standpoint – at Ohio State mm-hmm. and also a need standpoint in yeah. the secondary. Yeah, for sure. And those those two guys that were lost, obviously, you know, defensive guys that uh, you know, Oklahoma in need of of better defense would have, you know, sorely sorely wanted, obviously. And when they're in state, you don't want to let them get away. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think while both of those guys had, you know, they had reasons to to go where they went. There's there's no doubt about that. I I don't fault either of them for for doing what they did. But from Oklahoma standpoint, absolutely. If you've got the best guy in the state and you have a need uh, to to get better on defense and you lose back to back years, that's that's a gut punch. I mean, that's those are two guys that could, you know, I don't know if easily is the right word, but could <laughs> definitely be playing fairly significantly this season if they were in Norman and uh, for for neither of them to even uh, you know neither of them be there I think is is, has to hurt so yeah I mean I think uh, I think you're right and it's a different scenario when you're talking um, offensive line versus defensive secondary Um, but at the same time uh, you know a, a guy who really loved Oklahoma but then felt a connection, as you wrote when you wrote about Andrew uh, a couple weeks ago, then felt a connection to Georgia and said, well, now hold on a second. <laughs> Maybe I should go to Athens. Maybe I should go be a bulldog. With an offensive line coach just from right down the road from where he lives and, and really right down the road from where his uh, grandparents have a lake house. And I wrote yeah. about that. Yeah. And uh, right down the road from where he came to the decision to come to OU. Uh, which is Sam Pittman, Georgia's offensive line coach, is from Grove. So that was interesting to me. Well, yeah, and and Georgia, I mean, as good as Oklahoma has been in cranking out offensive linemen, what Sam Pittman and the Bulldogs have done has been remarkable too. So, um, you know, you're talking about two really good scenarios that he was uh, – it sounds like to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was either OU or Georgia, don't you? Yeah, that's what it ultimately came down to. Michigan – was in the mix briefly, but it, it came down to OU and Georgia over really the last uh, month and a half uh, of Andrew's recruitment. Yeah, and while you got to think that if they, they lose out on him, they're still going to have some big-time recruits, as you mentioned, because of Bill Beanbow, because of the track record that he's developed. And, you know, <laughs> it's pretty easy uh, – or it's easier to convince guys to go play offense in Norman <laughs> these days than maybe it's ever been before. So you've got so much going for you, and yet there has to be an extra layer of gratification for Oklahoma to have gotten that local guy after missing out on those two other guys, Proctor and Hill, in the last couple of years. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't probably – assuage the pain of like golly those two guys really could have been helpful and all of that I don't think that that it it, it changes that but yet it, it makes you feel a little bit better that hey we we kept this guy in state he's the best player in the state uh he's going to help us out all of those things have to come to mind for Oklahoma with that commitment 
All right, we're going to take another uh, quick break and then come right back with a little bit more recruiting talk, a little bit more Lincoln-Riley talk before we uh, wrap it up for the day. Thanks so much for joining us on Sooners Extra. We'll be right back. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Sooners Extra, the Oklahomans. Oklahoma Sooners podcast. I'm Ryan Aber, joined by Jenny Carlson again here for the final segment. And, and Jenny, let's stick with recruiting some. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma, as I mentioned, has 15 commitments uh, from the 2020 class. Maybe not the team ranking that I think a lot of people would like, but they've got the, some pieces that really fit in well with what they need yeah. uh, at this point. And obviously they want to add some, some other uh, big-time guys here over the next few months. But uh, to you, w- what is the biggest commitment, the biggest piece of this uh, recruiting class to this point for the Sooners? Well, you know, we did we talked about uh, Andrew uh, Rom in the did I say that right? Rame? I'm Rom? honestly not sure. I we need to I get that right. Andrew forgot to ask him uh, <laughs> how he pronounces his last name. We I, talked about his importance in, in our last segment, and I, I I do think that's significant. But you know, you look at you look at that those linebacker commits. Uh, two guys right now uh, listed solidly at linebacker um, with Braden Walker and Edron Cooper, uh, three stars. But still, that Brendan pos- Walker, I think. Did I say Braden? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's there's all kinds of B-R-Y names. <laughs> I, there's a Bryson. Uh, there's a Brian. There's a Ryan. I could definitely get myself in trouble here. But <laughs> with Walker and Cooper, while not the, the four stars and, uh, you know, some five stars that could potentially be out there in this recruiting class, several four stars already uh, on the list. And, you know, maybe some other guys listed as athletes that you could potentially see you know who knows where they would slot, but that linebacker position has been, you know, such a uh, an area of um, I don't know if concerns the right word, but it's just it's it's not been that um, that area of excellence that we've seen traditionally, and I'm talking about over decades of Oklahoma football. I mean the the school of you know. Calmus and Boz and Layman and Torrance Marshall and you know so many. I mean, I, Curtis Lofton. I mean, whoever you want to throw out. The there. upset of the day, right there, that it took Jenny that long to get to <laughs> Curtis Lofton. Member number love, one of the Curtis Lofton fan club. I do love Curtis Lofton. I cannot. I cannot say I don't. But uh, a position that has not only been good but game changing game-changing position for Oklahoma defenses over the years and you can go well back into the history books and find you know guys that fill that and in the last few years they have not had game changers at linebacker and maybe we see that changing with the defensive scheme change but those guys have got to they've got to they've got to grab that and so to see 
multiple linebacker commits already. Uh, I'm sure that the idea might be to bring in more as they continue to try to, to build that position and, and you know build behind some young guys that I think they really think could take them to another level. They obviously need you know guys like Kenneth Murray to continue to elevate what they're doing. Um, but you know, you need to continue to recruit better and better and better at that position to get back to um, that that standard. But um, you know, those two guys, just because of the expectation of where that position needs to go in future seasons, I think that to me, you've you've got to get those sorts of guys, and you've got to you know, not only to me the star rankings, yeah, you, you know, would you like them a little higher? Probably. But they've had great linebackers who haven't been all-world recruits before, and they became great linebackers because of how they were coached. So take those guys and turn them in to defensive players of the year. Turn them in to disruptors. I think that's where you have to really um, take that position moving forward. And so you know what, what Brian Odom does and how he moves that forward I think is really important. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with uh, Perry and Winfrey. The uh, junior college defensive tackle, 6'4", 305, uh, probably the number one defensive tackle in the JUCO ranks. I think to me, one, uh, you, you mentioned linebackers being an issue the last few years and sometimes just completely disappearing, yeah. especially late in that Mike Stoops era. But uh, Oklahoma's defensive tackles, really, they haven't had that game changer there and yeah. you know as much as you list, list those big time linebackers that Oklahoma had you can do the same thing with guys like Tommy Harris and, and Gerald McCoy and, and on and on and on uh, they haven't had that game changer of a defensive tackle although I think you know I talked about Lee Morris being maybe the most overlooked player on offense I think Neville Gallimore is probably the most overlooked player on defense because yeah. you know people talk about uh, well some people talk about Kenneth Murray's tackle numbers the last couple years and he's the preseason big 12 defensive player of the year uh to me neville gallimore is the best player returning on that defense but they need a disruptor up front a guy who is really going to make life difficult on offensive linemen on quarterbacks on running backs and be able to force teams into tough spots and they have not had that uh for for quite a while and I think if Winfrey is able to do that, if they're able, if he's able to come in and have success, uh, I think that helps not only that team that he's a part of, but it helps build momentum recruiting. And you're able to start more easily getting those guys that Oklahoma hasn't gotten, that the Big 12 hasn't gotten yeah. in quite a few years. And Oklahoma recruiting is different than Big 12 recruiting as a whole. But at the same time, they've still got some of that stigma there on the defensive side. I think it's starting to shift in a lot of ways, and it's part of it. Part of it that it's starting to shift is because the quarterback play isn't maybe as deep as it's been uh, over the last few years, with the exception of Oklahoma. And you know, obviously Texas has a really good returning quarterback this year. But outside of that, there's a lot of questions in this league. Uh, so I think this is the time for defenses to make a little bit more of a push. And if Winfrey is able to come in to have success, I think that can can really help the Sooners twofold. So I think, to me, he's the biggest piece to this point in the recruiting uh, class that Oklahoma has built in 2020. But it's going to be really interesting to see how that defensive recruiting holds up. Winfrey sort of started this stretch of, of defensive players committing. And uh, I, I think if they're able to have success early in the season, that momentum could keep going. Uh, 
on that side of the ball, which is really, really important to Alex Grinch yeah. and, and the defensive side. So uh, that will certainly be something to watch here, you know, two, three years down the road as it shapes up. Jenny, we just got a, a, a minute here to get things wrapped up, but uh, year three of Lincoln Riley, uh, what what's the biggest thing that Lincoln Riley still has to prove uh, entering his third season as head coach? Ooh, uh, well, I mean, I think the one big thing out there is, you know, they haven't won the national championship yet, even though they've had these historic offenses. So, can, how how can his offense cohabitate with a defense and work in a way that that they can go and not just win a Big Twelve championship, which is great, fantastic. There's nine other teams in the Big Twelve that wish they were on the the, the Big Twelve title run that OU is. But how do you make that work? On a, on a bigger stage at the end of the year against a Clemson, an Alabama, a Michigan, um, you know, whoever, Ohio State, whoever you want to say is there at the end. It hasn't happened yet, and can it happen this year in the first year of Alex Grinch? I don't know, but to me that's the, that's the one unknown. Can you have this offense um, that, that, that so, uh, so potent, so fast, so deadly – but can it work? How does it work with the defense? How can it work? You know, you've um, we've seen great success at Texas Tech or uh, you know other places that have installed the air raid, but there's never been a national title. So how can it work at that level? I think that's the again. I don't know if we get that answer this year, but how can it work? How could it work? I think that's the one big question for me. Yeah, I, I'm absolutely with you on that. I think that the defensive side and being able to break through and at least win a college football playoff game yeah. is is important. Get to the national championship game, and then it's sort of you know flip a coin in the air and, and see what happens. But this team needs to break through. That's the biggest question about Lincoln Riley. I think he's continued. He will continue to be a hot commodity in college football, but uh, certainly that's the biggest question mark that's out there. But we're going to wrap it up for right now thank you so much for joining us on uh, Sooners Extra you can check out our work every day in the Oklahoman and on Oklahoman.com I'm still trying to find the rhythm with that it's a little <laughs> bit different now that News OK is not uh, I feel your pain friend not a thing but we're we're working on that Oklahoman.com is where you can check out our work thank you so much for joining us and we'll be back with another Sooners Extra podcast later this week Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.